The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest for the first half hour is Anthony Sicaro. He's the president of Providence Financial. Uh, he's a chartered financial consultant. Uh, he is based in Woodland Hills, California. Welcome to the show, Anthony. Hi, Jordan. Glad to be with you. Let's start with your background a little bit, uh, your history and, and how you formed your own firm and uh, what kind of clients you have. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. I uh, began in the late 90s at the end of the best bull market that uh, this country has ever seen through the 80s and 90s, as you know. And I also knew that the party wasn't going to last forever, so we decided to go in a different direction than the stock market. So our goal is to help our clients protect their principal primarily while still earning a decent rate of return, but without the risk of the stock market. So we generally help people that are over the age of 50 and uh, with investments that are designed more for protection than for growth. And uh, that's, our, that's our niche. Okay, so kind of tell me what you're hearing from your clients today. The stock market's been kind of volatile here. Interest rates are very low. I mean, savings accounts and money market funds are pretty much at zero. Even long treasuries are less than 2%. Uh, in that kind of environment, what, what are you hearing from your clients that you're responding to? Yeah, what, I, what I'm hearing from my clients is a lot different than what I'm hearing from the government and from the media, I'll tell you that. Um, that the media is reporting the fact that the government's doing well, housing starts are up, um, inflation's under control, and the Federal Reserve is, you know, chomping at the bit to raise interest rates. But my clients aren't saying the same thing. My clients all feel like the market's not doing so well, uh, or, or I should say the economy is not doing so well. Uh, I've had more people say, you know, something like this, uh, Anthony, you know, they tell us that inflation is under 2%, but the fact is it seems like everything is going up, and I don't know where they get that inflation number. Um, and most people that come into my office, people that are over the age of 50, people that are within, you know, a decade or so of retirement, are scared. They're, they're fearful that they're not necessarily being told what's really going on with the economy, and regardless of what the media is saying, they're afraid that the economy is not doing as well as we're led to believe. And I agree with them, and I think they're smart for even uh, thinking that. So let's go to some of the specific things. What do you think is actually happening in the economy that's not being reported by the media and government statistics? Yeah, I, I think, first of all, that the government is not telling us the truth. Um, I, I think that the statistics that the government is using, quite frankly, is uh, they're, they're false statistics. As a matter of fact, I think if corporations were to use the statistics that the government uses and formulate them in the same way that the government formulates these statistics, the bottom line is I think the corporations would be shut down, fined, um, and the officers would go to jail. I'll give you an example. Uh, unemployment, you know, the, the, the government is bragging now about how unemployment is, you know, right around 5%. And yet the reality is, is, is there's different levels of unemployment. Um, and 
when you look at unemployment, it, it doesn't include certain classes of people. A, a lot of your listeners, I'm guessing, probably don't know that when someone loses their job and they go on unemployment and they're on unemployment for a period of six months, the fact is that once they quit receiving their unemployment because it runs out, well, guess what? The government says you are no longer unemployed. Now, you don't have a job. You still don't have any way to pay your bills, but you're no longer unemployed. So they don't count you as being unemployed. Now, when you are on unemployment for the first few months and, and four or five months goes by and you don't have a job, you, you tend to start looking a little more seriously, a little more aggressively for a job. And, you know, before your unemployment runs out, you might wind up taking, you know, one or two jobs and still making half as much income as you were when you were fully employed. But they don't count you as being unemployed. They, they count you um, as being underemployed, but you don't count as being unemployed. So, uh, and then you look at college graduates. We've got the millennials today that are ages 15 to 35 years old, and a lot of them are just graduating college, and they can't get jobs. But the government says, you know what, you've never had a job, so you're not really unemployed, uh, so we don't count you. And, and when you throw all those numbers together, people that uh, came off of unemployment, people that are underemployed, uh, and, and people that have never had jobs, college graduates, when you throw that all together, we're, we're having unemployment and underemployment rate in this country of somewhere north of 15%, probably even closer to 20%. And that's, that's not good. So that's, that's one specific example where people don't know that that's going on, but one out of five people right now are unemployed. And on the inflation front, you say, I mean, the official numbers are well below 2%. What do you think is the realistic inflation number based on people's experiences? Oh, yeah, I think it's much higher than 2%. I, I think we're probably in the 4 to 5% range at this point because, again, inflation is reported in such a way to where it's not the true number. Um, for instance, you know, inflation includes certain number of items that people buy as consumables, but there are certain things that inflation does not include. Well, for instance, it doesn't include gasoline or energy. So as energy goes up, uh, it doesn't include, doesn't include those numbers. Now, energy's been down because of oil and so on, so that hasn't had a huge impact. But it also doesn't include things like food. And it doesn't matter what age you are, you're, you're still going to eat, so everyone's impacted by that. But the fact is, is that it doesn't include food. That's not counted in the energy prices. So as commodities go up, as food goes up, they don't count that in the inflation statistics. Uh, it also doesn't count taxes. Contrary to what Obama has said, the fact is that taxes have gone up. Uh, there's a Medicare tax in place now. The highest tax rate now is, I believe, it's 39.6. Uh, at this point, that's higher than it was uh, a couple of years ago. So taxes have gone up, and it doesn't count that inflation. So when you just count what it is the government's counting, then, yeah, inflation's under 2%. But when you, when you account for... Uh, things that people are using, gasoline and food, inflation actually is much higher than 2%. And again, if corporations reported their numbers like the government is reporting their numbers, they would be shut down. So the Federal Reserve has kept rates extremely low for a long time, basically at zero since 2008. They raised by a quarter in December. They're thinking of raising again in June. Um, do you think the Federal Reserve's policy is correct in an environment where you say inflation is way underreported and unemployment is also way underreported? Yeah, the, the, the problem is with the Federal Reserve is that they're, they're, they're really out of tools. I, I think that they should have raised interest rates a long time ago. Uh, the, the problem is they can't raise interest rates. You know, the, the government wants you to believe the economy is doing well. 
And the Federal Reserve wants you to believe that the economy is doing well. But where the litmus test is, where the rubber meets the road, is whether or not the Federal Reserve can raise interest rates. That's, it doesn't matter what anyone says. That's the litmus test. That's the test. And, and if you go back to 2000, we had a severe crash uh, somewhere around 45 or 50% from 2000 to 2002. That was that tech bubble crash. And, and interest rates, uh, the Fed funds rate, which is what we're talking about, was 6% or so in 2000. And by 2002, it was down to zero. And as the economy recovered from 2002 to 2007, interest rates went from zero back up to almost 6%. So they, they were able to increase rates along the way. Well, then 2007, the market started having more problems. We had the subprime housing crash, and, and, and the Fed again, uh, as the market crashed from, from 2007 to 2009, a crash that represents well over 50% from the market, well, the Federal Reserve again lowered the rates down to zero. But the challenge is the market has now come back from 2009 to now. The market has come back to where it's, it's higher than it was before. It's at really at record highs at this point. But the interest rates have not come back. The Federal Reserve has not been able to raise interest rates. And so what's the difference, you want to ask? Well, the difference between uh, the 2001 and the 2008 crash is that we weren't borrowing money. We weren't doing quantitative easing. And quantitative easing is just the fancy word for printing money, printing money, giving it to the banks, hoping the banks loan it out to consumers and corporations so that they'll spend it. And as they spend it, then what happens is the economy grows because they're, they're spending this. And so, and so what we've essentially done in the last, uh, really, seven, eight years at this point is we've bought ourselves a good economy. And all the $85 billion a month that, that was going into the economy for a period of, uh, of, I think it was three years or four years, the fact is we've bought ourselves to the heights of the stock market that we are right now. And unfortunately, it's a house of cards. It's not going to stay there. It's a false growth in the economy. And that's why the Fed has not been able to raise rates. If the Fed raised rates, I mean, they raised rates a quarter point in December, and that made the stock market fall pretty sharply in January, February. Right. If they were to raise rates again in June, do you think that would cause another stock market fall? I do. I do, yeah. And I, I think that uh, the reason the market even recovered after the January fall, the, the quarter point that they raised, is because of what's going on in the rest of the world. Um, the, the fact is that the, the uh, American economy right now is the cleanest dirty shirt in the laundry basket. Uh, it's not that we're looking so good. It's that we're just looking better compared to all the other dirty clothes around us. I mean, you've got you know China and with with the growth that is slowing down. You've got Japan. You've got Europe with negative interest rates, and we are now riding their coattails. The reason that our market hasn't crashed at at this point much further than than what it did in January, uh, and the reason that 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 crash didn't sustain is because of the fact that uh, all of the other economies look. So bad, but the fact is, it's not going to last forever. And when it does come crashing down, the fact is, it's going to be worse than it was uh, than, than it would have been if the Federal Reserve would have just let the economy run its course. We're artificially manipulating the, the economy, and whenever you artificial artificially manipulate anything, it makes things worse in the end, not better. So we've got a lot of problems ahead, uh, despite what a lot of people think. What might be the turning point or the impetus? to have things, as you say, called crashing down? Is it raising rates? Or, I mean, we've had very low oil prices, which has been hurting the producing oil-producing countries. What is the kind of tipping point that would make what you're saying could happen actually start to unra unravel? 
Yeah, well, I think the ones you mentioned are a good start, and I, I think there's really a lot of things that could happen. It could be uh, China, where their economy is not only starting to slow, but may slow a lot faster than we believe. You remember that back in August of last year, the economy or the market dropped 12%, and then it recovered, but the reason was because China devalued its currency. And who knows what's going to happen with China? That came out of the blue. No one expected that. So... Uh, the Chinese government, the fact that we don't know what's going on over there, uh, if we happen to learn something over there that's not favorable, uh, they're a highly leveraged economy. Their economy suffering could very well cause the United States to have some problems, too. They're the second largest economy in the world. So that's one issue I think everyone needs to keep an eye on. Um, another issue could be interest rates, the fact that we, we can't raise rates anymore, the fact that when we do raise rates, that's going to cause a problem as well, too. It's, it's kind of like giving candy to a baby. You, know, the, you give candy to a baby, and they love it, they love it, but eventually if they eat too much of it, they're going to throw up. And, uh, and the reality is, is it's the same thing with the economy. This is free money. It's candy going into the economy that is getting spent. But as soon as you take it away, then there's going to be withdrawals. And, and I think that's where we are. So the, the Federal Reserve has a lot to do with where we go in this economy. Um, I, I think it could also be education. You know, the millennials are a smart bunch. They're, they're, this is a group that is bigger than the baby boom generation that's out there. And the reality is, is that they're smart. You know, the, the oldest... The oldest uh, millennial right now is 35 years old. And if you think about their paradigm, when this millennial was 20 years old, the oldest of the millennials were 20 years old, well, that puts us back in 2000. And from 2000 to now, what the mar- what's, what's the market done? It's had two crashes and two recoveries, and essentially it's, if you compound out the return for the last 16 years, the market's done less than 0.5% every year compounded for the last 15 years. Um, I, I'm sorry, slightly more than 0.5% for the last 15 years. So the bottom line is that this is the millennials' paradigm. And though they don't really want anything to do with the market, they're not getting in the debt, uh, which is great. They're saving money, which is absolutely phenomenal. But the bottom line is that means that they're not spending money. And if they're not spending money, that's not good for the, uh, for the economy. Um, you know, you look at the baby boomers. The fact is that the baby boomers, the oldest generation or, or the older generation right now, you know, baby boomers are starting to turn 70 at this point. So they're 50 to 70 years old. And when you get a little bit older, you don't start, you don't start wildly spending lavishly. You curtail your spending. So you've got baby boomers that are spending less. You've got millennials that are, that are not spending at all other than their basic necessities. So you've got the two biggest economies or two biggest generations in the, in the country right now spending less. And so ultimately, if you spend less, what's going to happen to corporate profits? It's going to go down. And I think that could be a problem. And, and they're educated. As they start to learn about what's really going on, what unemployment really is, what inflation really is, how these numbers are really calculated, and the fact that they're not fair, I think just that education could cause more and more people to be really wary and, and want to pull out of the market. Very good. We're going to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this half hour is Anthony Sicaro. He's the president of Providence Financial based in Woodland Hills, California. You can find out more about him at his website, ProvidenceFinancialInc.com. He also has a radio show called The Providence Financial Retirement Show on KRLA uh, in uh, California. We'll be back after this.
We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll-free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Bob Pritchard has over 30 years of experience as a straight-talking business consultant and author working with some of the top Fortune 500 companies. Now he's come to the Voice America Business Channel to help you and your business. Tune in to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show for information about starting and successfully running a profitable business. From the movers and shakers to great marketing screw-ups, you can't afford to miss a single edition of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show, Tuesdays at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. Leadership is a vital skill set in today's competitive global economy. Being a leader is not enough. To succeed, you must optimize your performance and know how to imbue others in your organization with leadership skills. Practical, actionable leadership insights are the focus of Leadership Development News, hosted each Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern, by Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler on the Voice America Business Channel. Doctors Greenberg and Nadler, who coach global leaders on how to be most effective, will share their insights and contacts. The path to leadership excellence begins here. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour, this half hour is Anthony Saccaro. He's the president of Providence Financial based in Woodland Hills, California. His website, ProvidenceFinancialInc.com. Welcome back to the show, Anthony. Thank you, Jordan. So we have the economic picture you've talked about here. So people don't want to keep their money in the bank account earning zero or a CD earning less than 1%. So what are some of the recommendations you have for your investors uh, who want to be earning a decent return in this kind of volatile time you've talked about? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, that, that you should be, people that are worried about the stock market, especially if you're a little bit older, should be more concerned at this point about principal protection than they should be about gambling in the stock market casino. And the fact is that there's a whole universe of investment options out there that are designed to protect your principal and yet give you a guaranteed income, either in the form of a dividend or interest. And when I say dividend, I don't necessarily mean dividend from like a common stock. I mean dividend from maybe a real estate investment trust or dividend from a preferred stock or something of that nature, but, but some kind of guaranteed income. And Jordan, there's, there's a big difference between investing for income or investing for growth. When, when you're investing for growth, you're hoping that the share price of whatever it is you're buying grows. Whereas when you're investing for income, you don't really care about the share price. You care about the dividends and your and interest that you're getting every single month or every single quarter. Let's it's get some specifics like a, now. So let, let's talk about, you, you mentioned REITs, real estate investment trusts. Do you like individual REITs or mutual funds or what kind of REITs do you like and what kind of yields can you get from the ones you like? Well, a real estate investment trust is really an investment in a company that owns real estate. And technically, by the letter of the law, it's still considered common stock. But the fact is, it's, it's considered a more moderate common stock, not an aggressive common stock, because they're going to pay a guaranteed dividend or guaranteed uh, yeah, dividend of some sort. 
And the, the fact is that I like them individually. I'm not a big mutual fund guy, and the reason is because mutual funds are going to charge you fees and they're going to uh, professionally package a bunch of investments. And, and if you have a money advisor out there, a financial advisor out there, that's kind of his job to be managing your money, not to be subcontracting the work to a mutual fund. Now, if, you are, if you're a do-it-yourselfer and you don't know anything about money, you don't, you're not going to pay a financial guy, then a mutual fund, I think, is the way to go. But for my practice, we're not going to have anyone in mutual funds if we can help it. So, so what would be, buy- say, one or two REITs that you would like specifically? Well, you know, right, they change. And the REITs that we were recommending last week are REITs that we're not necessarily going to recommend today. But the categories of REITs that I like are, I like categories of REITs in apartment buildings. I like REITs that are in uh, long-term care facilities or hospitals. And a REIT essentially is just investing in different categories of real estate. As, as the baby boomers get older, long-term care facilities and hospitals are going to become more prevalent as well. So I like those. REITs that I would stay away from, I would stay away from shopping center REITs um, because I, of the Amazons in the world out there that are, are taking share from shopping centers and the fact that we might be entering you know, kind of, a, kind of an ice age in the retail environment here. Um, I'd stay away from some of those REITs. I'd stay away from mortgage REITs, from housing REITs, and so on. But... Okay. Uh, commercial REITs and hospital and long-term care REITs, I think, are great. All right, preferreds is another area you mentioned. Uh, what industries are some of the preferreds? Maybe you have a name or two, some preferreds uh, you would like. Yeah, well, 70% of all preferreds are issued by the financial industry. Uh, Morgan Stanley's got a good preferred. Public Storage has a good preferred. Uh, but, but a preferred stock is a class of stock, not common stock. It's a different class of stock that is going to pay you a guaranteed consistent dividend. And you buy the preferreds for the dividend, hoping that the value stays the same, but you get that, you get that guaranteed income. Uh, a number of banks we use, Wells Fargo, Chase, they've got good preferred stocks. And right now, with preferreds, you can get 5 or 6% fairly comfortably. Okay. In addition to preferreds and REITs, what are some other areas for uh, safe, uh, decent yields? Yeah, there, there's different kinds of bonds. There's corporate bonds out there that right now, for seven years or less, you can probably get somewhere in the range of of three to five percent. There's municipal bonds right now. I find the municipal bonds are fairly expensive. It may not be the right time to buy them, but you can still probably get two and a half, three percent. Now, I would only say that municipal bonds would be good if for your for your non-retirement money because municipal bond interest is tax-free. So if you're in a high tax bracket, if you're paying forty or fifty percent taxes and you're earning three percent on a on a municipal bond, you may very well, in fact. Wind up, uh, wind up having to yield 5 or 6% taxable to have a 3% tax equivalent yield. So municipal bonds could be annuities. If you want income, the fact is that a lot of the annuities out there are income-driven, income-oriented. And there's income riders that will actually give you really a, a good amount of income per dollar on a guaranteed basis so that you never really have to worry about ever running out of money. And yet you have to be careful with annuities. There, there's different kinds of annuities. There's variable annuities. There's index annuities. There's fixed annuities. If you don't know what kind you're getting into, you really need to stay away uh, until you work with a professional. But bottom line is that annuities ha- are great for people that want lifetime income and the peace of mind of never having to worry what, what about What kind of out. yield range can you get from those income riders on annuities you would favor these days? Yeah, generally speaking, what will happen is is you get a certain amount of income, and the income that you get is going to depend on how old you are, and it's going to depend on uh, how long you've let the money sit there before you start taking it. But most annuity companies will wind up uh, giving you this guaranteed income of somewhere between 4 to 7% a year, maybe 8% a year, 
uh, depending on your age at the time you start taking it. But for every year you delay taking it, the amount of income you get is going to grow. And it's kind of like Social Security and the fact that the older you get, the more income you'll get guaranteed for life. And so a lot of these annuity companies are guaranteeing that your income, uh, the, the, the income will grow by 5 to 7% a year. Now, I don't want that to be misunderstood. You're not, you're not earning 5 to 7% a year on your index or, or your fixed annuity. Your income is growing by 5 to 7% a year so that when you start taking it next year, you get 6% or so more income than if you started taking it right now. That's what we're seeing out there. So you are not concerned about the financial strength of insurance companies or municipalities. And we've got the case of Puerto Rico that's already started to default on its debt. Uh, but with the economic description you had in the first half of the show, these are not concerns for you for the, either the municipalities or insurance companies? Well, no, I, di- I didn't actually say that they weren't concerns. They, they are concerns. You want to go with insurance companies that are highly rated. You want to go with insurance companies that invest their money prudently. Uh, you want to go with municipalities that are highly rated as well, too. So they, they are concerns. I mean, you, you have to be cognizant of where you are investing your money. But the reality is, is in the case of municipalities, you can diversify. So if someone had, you know, a quarter million dollars that they wanted to put into different municipal bonds, we wouldn't be putting them in the one municipal bond. We'd be diversifying them among a number of municipalities. Um, same, same thing with an annuity. And now, annuity is a little different because they're, they're safe, they're insured. Uh, it's a little different than the municipalities. But we still want to make sure that we put you with the company that's at least an, an A-rated company to some degree. A- minus or better is really my threshold. And make sure that, these, that you know these companies and how they're investing your money as well, too. Some of these companies are investing in very risky assets. And when, uh, when the economy does collapse, yeah, there's going to be some problems with some of these companies. What can, people, yeah. what can people find at your website, ProvidenceFinancialInc.com? Well, they're, they're going to find information about us. Um, there's a couple things there. First of all, uh, our firm's information there, my staff pictures are there, what we do, and, and, and our expertise is there. But I think where they're going to get a lot of value is by going to ProvidenceFinancialInc.com is they can, click in, they can click on our Facebook page or they can click on our YouTube channel. And every week, I, I, I like to do a market update with what's going on in the market. Now, I say every week kind of loosely. Sometimes I don't do it for two or three weeks. But, but the bottom line is that I do a market update. It's a video of me talking about what's gone on in the market, where I think we're going to go. And, and then there's other videos on our YouTube channel that talk about market history, where we are at this point, where the economy is going to go, why history, 200 years of history, thinks that the market's probably not going to do so well here. So a lot of information on our website and YouTube channel. In about a minute or so I have left, why don't you kind of sum up your view of the economic world that we've talked about and the investment implications of that? Yeah, I, I think no matter what age you are at this point, you have to be careful. I think no matter how you slice it and dice it, the economy right now is not looking good. There's definitely some problems ahead. If you're younger, I think the stock market is still ultimately the place to be, but not now. Wait until we have another correction. History tells us that we could have another, uh, another 40 to 60% correction. If you're a little older and you can live off your interest, why gamble at all? So regardless of your age, be careful at this point, invest prudently, and consider whether or not you should even be in the market. Very good. Well, thanks so much. My guest this half hour has been Anthony Saccaro. He's the president of Providence Financial based in Woodland Hills, California. You can find out more about him at his website, ProvidenceFinancialInc.com. He also has a radio show 
uh, called the um, Providence Financial Retirement Show on KRLA uh, on Saturdays. Uh, thanks so much for being a guest on The Money Answer Show, Anthony. Thank you, Jordan, for having me. Thank you, and we'll be back after this break with my next guest. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790, 866-472-5790, Voice America Business Network. Capital Thinking takes you inside the worlds of policy, politics, law, and business. What happens in government, the legal arena, and the business world impacts your business every day. And we're going to take you on a behind-the-scenes tour of it all. Each week, we'll bring you unfiltered conversation with a variety of influential policymakers and leaders. Squire Patton Boggs will be your guide as Capital Thinking tours the halls of power. Join us for Capital Thinking on the Voice America Business Channel each Thursday at noon Eastern and 9 a.m. Pacific Time. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest for this half hour is Patrick Pizan. He's the president at Harvest Financial Group. Uh, based in Virginia. Welcome to the show, Pat. Glad to be here, Jordan. Let's start with your background. You've been in the financial industry a long time. Just give us a little brief background that you've had uh, before you formed your firm. Yeah, well, I originally started out way back in 1984 at MetLife Securities, and I specialized uh, six years after that. My forte was doing pension planning, and I did uh, estate planning cases, and this has been my first incarnation in New Jersey, where I did that all the way until 2001. And then 2001, I moved to Virginia, met a woman. A woman brought me to Virginia, my current wife, and I did the pension planning for the U.S. government and military. And then 2004, I moved my operation to where I am today in the Shenandoah Valley in Virginia, Stanton, Virginia. And now, for the last 12 years, we specialize in working with retirees and pre-retirees, emphasizing income generation and asset protection. The baby boomers, Jordan, as you know, the biggest growing society of people that we have, um, a lot of us, myself included, really haven't been educated a lot on income. You know, we've had a lot of growth strategies over the years, and now coming into retirement, we need to be able to turn that into an income stream because the biggest fear I see today with people coming into my office isn't the fear of dying, it's the fear of living too long or shall we say 
uh, outliving your money. Yes. So uh, there's always a conflict between saving for retirement and saving for or paying for college. So how do people make Because in many cases, parents drain their retirement accounts, borrow against their home equity through HELOCs, uh, life insurance cash value, do all kinds of sa- borrowing uh, so that the college bills aren't too bad, but then they don't have much for retirement. How do you help clients kind of get the right balance there? Yeah, it is, it is a balancing act, and everybody has to have their own priorities. You know, saving money, starting with the simple art and principle of saving money, needs to be developed at a young age. I mean, I try to, you know, educate people and go in schools that, you know, when you start working, as soon as you start working and you have a full-time job, to immediately invest in the 401k, the 403b, whatever pension plans they have available, and take 10% of your money and immediately start to invest as soon as you work. And if you do that through a 30- or 40-year career, you're going to be fine for retirement no matter what comes up. So we need to learn that discipline early. And, you know, it's a priority. I mean, college costs have, you know, really gone through the roof. They range... Typically, the average is anywhere from a hundred thousand to two hundred seventy thousand uh, dollars, and, and, and that's just that's just a rough a, a rough range. But I guess the best way to do it, if you take ten percent and you put it into savings, uh, you have to ask yourself, you know, what's the first priority? Is it retirement or is it saving for, for college? And how do you balance the scales a little bit? In my own opinion. You know, I counsel my clients that you have to take care of your retirement first. That should be the first button you push because you know that one day we may not be so physically able to work and be able to provide for ourselves, and it depends on us to save money to be able to do that in the future. So as far as college is concerned, Jordan, I think it's really important to start putting away whatever you can once you start funding your retirement the second you have that child. You so know, you put money people... aside in savings. The problem today, Pat, is you earn nothing on savings. If it's in a savings account, you know you're going to get zero as far as the eye can see. So putting the money aside is good, but where should people invest it? Are they going to earn some kind of a decent yield instead of zero in the bank? Yeah, of course. When I say savings, I just mean saving money. And first of all, with the retirement plans, most of your 401ks and 403bs have a mixture of stock and bonds. And you know, during those long time frames, you want to be heavily invested in stocks because you have 30-year time frames. You know, where you can take the losses because you're not going to use the money for a long time. As far as the college savings, you know, there are built-in 529 plans, which are very tax-efficient and tax-friendly for saving for college, and typically they're invested in mutual funds with some, with some type of stock-bond mix, and they kind of automatically are a little more aggressive in the earlier years, depending on if college is 15 or 20 years away, and get a little more conservative when you get closer to college. So, you know, you want to be in some type of, you know, a growth fund that is going to get you a good return over the period of time, both for retirement and for college. You also say you need adequate disability and life insurance in place. Do you find a lot of clients coming to you do not have proper disability and life insurance, and what do you do to get them up to speed there? Yeah, that's, that's a, an area a lot of people don't take care of right away. And, you know, let's just say you're making $40,000 a year, to put a number out there, Jordan. If 
I tell my clients, look, if you had a machine or some type of computer or some, something that was pumping out $40,000 a year to you, and that was in your house, and that machine reliably pumped out $40,000 a year, would you take an insurance policy out of it in case, in case there was a fire or in case it broke down? Or, of course, because that's your livelihood. That's the source. So when it comes to financial planning, Income, the income that you make on a weekly, monthly, yearly basis is providing for the lifestyle for your spouse and or your kids. And, of course, there's a lot of two-family spouses working today. So you have to ensure that right away because if, or let's say you have a horrible accident, God forbid, right, and you don't have disability insurance, how are the bills going to get paid? It could be, you know, debt like that could wipe you out. So... You want to make sure that you have 75 to 80% of your pay coming in, at least if you get disabled. And then, of course, there's life insurance where if one of the spouse dies, typically there's a, you know, there's a big drop in income. How do you get that income back? Well, a sizable life insurance policy, we say five to ten times income at the very least. You know, do you generate... typically recommend term or cash value policy for the life insurance? Well, it depends on the situation. You know, mostly today, um, you know, the cash value life insurance policies, we're in a low interest rate environment. Uh, If you have good investments and you have a good investment portfolio that's well-balanced, you know, term, term life would be fine. I mean, and, you know, when it comes to life insurance, Jordan, most of the time the, the most, the basic need is getting back to the children again. And once the children are out of college on their own, providing for their own lifestyles, then it's not so important. So if you have a 20 or 30 year term life policy, which are very inexpensive today, that can probably the most economically best way to take care of it. Okay. Um, All right. So you also talk about debts that people should have. And you say that people should have a debt that they uh, can make sure they pay off at the end of every month instead of accept the mortgage. So a lot of people are not doing that. They're going into credit card debt. They're taking on student loan debt, car loans, all kinds of debt. What, what do you recommend for people who are spending more than they're taking in and making up the difference with debt? Well, it's an oversimplification, but we just can't take the bait. You know, right now, Jordan, 57% of U.S. workers have less than $25,000 in savings. We had a negative savings rate up until a few years ago. I mean, that people were spending more than they were taking in. And, you know, we live in a consumer-based society, and it's very tempting to get the brand-new iPad and the brand-new technological toy that comes around. And, you know, it's very simple. You, you, you don't develop credit card debt. It's something if you can't pay off at the end of the month, you know, you don't buy it. You and I were probably taught that by our parents, you know, when, when we're growing up. Uh, only buy what you can afford to buy. And there has been a little bit of a turn. You know, this generation has been burnt twice by 50% or more stock market drops, and we had a huge real estate drop as well. And people are starting to wise up and save a little more. And, you know, the overall debt in our country, consumer debt, has gone down a little bit because I think we're learning the lessons. We're learning it the hard way. And if people do have credit card debt and they're carrying that debt now, 
before you do anything else, you have to pay down that credit card debt because that will ruin any chance of, you know, saving for college or getting a good retirement plan because, you know, the interest on those cards are very, very high. So we talked about savings, for example, before. So you're saying if you've saved up some money and you've got credit card debt, it makes sense to use that savings to pay down the credit card debt because you're earning a lot less than you'd be paying on the credit cards. Is that correct uh, choice? Absolutely. Credit card debt is the highest debt that we have out there, so you always want to pay down that debt first. And, um, you know, look, it's hard to do, you know, if you have a real emergency out there and you have to use your credit card, obviously for health reasons or something. I mean, that aside, though, you know, that card should just be um, uh, something to use that you pay off at the end of every month religiously. And then you and then you put ten percent into the four hundred one ks and the four hundred three bs because credit card debt will cripple you with the interest rates. And then, as I far mean, as other debts, uh, you, you talk about good debt versus bad debt. What are some good debts? Well, we can argue that a mortgage is is a good debt today. That's one of the things that can actually benefit us in a very low interest rate environment is getting a mortgage of three and a half or four percent. You have a tax write-off. It's one of the best tax write-offs you have in this country. And obviously, typically, over the long term, real estate values go up. Now you own the house, and instead of paying rent where you're getting nothing back for it, you're paying a down on a, on a mortgage where eventually maybe you own the house free and clear. But at 35 4% interest rates today, a home is a, is a, you know, very much of the time a increasing asset. And it's a good investment to make. Why pay rent every month when you could actually be getting growth on your money and paying down in uh, owning the home? Would you count student loan debt as good debt or bad debt? <laughs> that's that's a great question, Jordan. That's a great. I mean, it's hard to call it bad debt when we're investing in somebody's education and the well-being of people that we love so much. So I, I wouldn't categorize it as bad debt. And there are a lot of, um, you know, there are, there are programs out there, incentives where students can pay it off at a lower rate later on. And, you know, we're, I think we're making some strides and there's some new laws that are being talked about politically that can even make, you know, the payback of those debts a little easier. Uh, so I, w- I wouldn't call it bad debt. I mean, anybody, any parent that has the, the foresight and the, and the, uh, you know, the caring to be able to invest in their child's education, to give them uh, that wisdom, you know, is, is a good thing. It's just that if you want to know uh, statistics that are scary, uh, when you talk, to, uh, talk about college debt, since 1978, the costs have gone up 1,225%. Now, that is not... A misquote, 1,225%, the cost of your average college since 1978, way more than health care, food, or housing. And it's, it, it, it's almost, uh, when, you, when you do the calculations, it's more than double the inflation rate. So these college costs, you wonder why people are struggling with this. They've really, really you know, gotten very, very high. Okay. And it's well, a challenge. Yeah, it is. We're going to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest for this half hour is Pat Pizen. He's the president at Harvest Financial Group based in Staunton, Virginia. 
You can find out more about him at his website, which is pisangroup.com. We'll be back after this. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. America is heading over a fiscal cliff. Home prices are still receding and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. What if every day was a good day for business? Because every decision you made was the best choice. What if you could receive regular input from credible sources and could acquire all the precise information you need exactly when you need it so you can make the right decision every single time? Because There's More challenges you to make better decisions. Join Laura Ellis every Monday at 9 a.m. Eastern, 6 a.m. Pacific, and 2 p.m. GMT on the Voice America Business Channel and learn how to think differently for better decisions, better business. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest for this half hour is Pat Pizan. He's the president of the Pizan Financial Group. Our website you can find out more about him is pizangroup.com. Welcome back to the show, Pat. Glad to be here, Jordan. We were talking about college a little bit and how overwhelming and how much it's gone up. What are some things that people can do to lower the cost of college once they get into a college? Yeah, well, the first thing, there is a lot of research that a good group of people ignore about to prepare for different ways to pay for college. And just doing that investigation based on your state and whatnot, there's a plethora of information that a whole lot of people miss on. But just some, some simple ones. I mean, uh, students can work part-time to assist paying. Uh, there, there are student loans available. You'd be surprised. Um, they, they have some of these discounted loans. You could, there is actually in some states like Florida, Illinois, uh, there's a handful of others that let you prepay tuition costs in advance. So in other words, if you have a two-year-old and you want to ensure their college education, you could pay it today at today's tuition cost. Now, Do you think those are good ideas, these prepaid tuition plans? Because ultimately they rely on the state to bail them out if tuitions go up more than they expected. Yeah, I mean, well, that's, you know, that's, a, that's a double-edged sword. I mean, the... They do guarantee it, though. I mean, in other words, they, they, they may charge a little more now, and they guarantee that, um, you know, they'll be able to attend. You know, wh- whether the state has to bail them out or not or what, how they do it, I, I mean, I don't know. That's a, you know, that, 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 we're getting into a little moral territory here, I guess. But if the plan's guaranteed and you can save money by paying it up front, you know, it, it's something to consider. 
And, of course, the 529 plans are tax-deductible, not tax-deductible when, uh, when you put the money in, but you can take it out. They grow tax-deferred, and when you withdraw the money out, uh, they're tax-free as well. Okay, and how about scholarships and grants? What are some ways that people can find scholarships and grants that they don't have to pay back? Yeah, I just had a, a member of my staff, his, uh, his daughter is graduating this, uh, you know, any day now, or she just did, I guess, a week or two ago, <clears throat> and looking at colleges, and they were able to get um, a scholar, and this is here in Virginia, uh, a scholarship for her for three, I mean, she's a B student, wasn't, wasn't a fantastic student, but a good student, and, you know, with, with the state school, she got it for like one-third of the tuition just by going on the website and following this program. It's called, you know, Virginia Scholarship and Grant Program. That's for people who are listening in Virginia. Uh, so, you know, just doing research up front is going to help a lot. And you can gift. You talk about ways of saving money. You know, you, you're able to gift $14,000 per year per couple, per individual. So it's actually... Um, a total to, to avoid uh, gift taxes, you're saying, yes. Yeah. So yeah, do you think it's a good idea to save in the child's name in a five twenty nine plan or in the parent's name? Wh whose name is it advantageous to save for for college? It's well you keep it in the parent's name so you have the uh, the tax write offs. Because and, and another thing you could do is you could prepay. You could say, All right, listen, uh we're gonna put in seventy thousand dollars a year or hundred and forty thousand per couple. And, and do it in one pop up front. Now, that'll be treated tax wise as a $14,000 deduction over a five year period of time, or 28000 for both of you. But it's a good way, you know, to keep your taxes low, as low as possible, and still, uh, you know, ensure the education if you're able to do that up front. So that, you know, a dime today is worth uh, a lot more than it will be 10, 15 years from now. How about picking the school? Uh, I think there's like 150 colleges to over $60,000 a year. Do you think a lot of people go to expensive colleges that they really shouldn't be because they're not going to get a payoff from it? Yeah, and there are a lot of good state schools in every state now. And I think the savings that you'll get, or even junior colleges now, Jordan, there's a lot of really good junior colleges out there where you can get a good education and uh, state schools are, are very good. You don't always have to go to, you know, even if you're a great student, you know, to the top flight schools. Recent survey, the two biggest companies out there, Google and Apple, 17% of the new hires at these companies, this is going to probably shock you a little bit, uh, do not have a college education. Wow. 17%. Because these are people who develop a skill and develop a trade, you know, through high school and realize that maybe college isn't so necessary for some of the, uh, the technological opportunities out there today. And they're interviewing them and they have a skill set. And I'm not trying to talk anybody out of going to college, but, you know, another alternative. You, know, you go into the military, you go into the Army, a lot less expensive. You get your training there. Yeah. I, I want to switch to another topic. We've talked a lot about college, and basically you're saying the 529 is the best place to save for that. We also talked Absolutely. about retirement and how you shouldn't really be taking away from your retirement savings for college. What are some vehicles you recommend to your clients uh, in, in a 0% environment, basically, to save for retirement to get some decent income that's have some uh, capital uh, security? 
Yeah, that's a great question because I find time and again when people come into my office, uh, pre-retirees especially, that are looking to develop a plan for retirement, they think the whole world consists of the stock market. And if you're not on the stock market, you're in a 1% CD today. Uh, you know, one's red hot and the other's ice cold. But when it comes to retirement, there's a whole middle world of fixed income that's designed pretty much to be a lot less riskier than the stock market. You're not going to take major drops. And you get yields today in things like corporate bonds, preferred stocks, senior secured notes, private and public REITs that are yielding 5 to 6% interest in a well-managed fixed income portfolio of safe laddered bonds and bond-like instruments, including those preferreds and BDCs and REITs, as I discussed. You know, our clients today are basically living in the world of 5 to 7%, and they're pretty much designed to protect your capital, and you generate an income stream. And the difference is these have maturity dates and things you can count on. So if the stock market takes a big wallop, we can withstand that in the accumulation stage of our life between the ages 25 and 50. But once you get within five or seven years of, of retirement, you know, the market takes another 40 or 50 percent hit, which we see not once but twice since the turn of the century. That can ruin somebody's retirement plan with one drop like that. So typically the advice is to get into safer stuff that isn't so growth-based, but yield and dividend-based. So let's get some specifics on that area, Pat. Let's, you talked about REITs, for example. Give me one or two REITs that you would like uh, that would recommend to clients. Well, we have a, a REIT. It's called Preferred Apartment Complexes, and it invests in senior housing. And it's basically, you know, the, all the seniors today, you know what they like to do, and it's great. They like to live in communities. You know, and, and this is a, uh, an industry that's shown tremendous growth. It pays a 6% yield. And uh, you're investing in these apartment complexes. There's another REIT we like a lot. It's called the Carter Validus REIT. And the two sectors, they own the brick and mortar for health care and data centers. And I don't think I have to tell you, with the baby boomers getting older in age, that health care is a booming industry. And all the technology and the Internet technology that we're developing at rapid speed, that isn't going anywhere, but more and more. Yeah. So, so those are two good examples in REITs. You had mentioned preferreds. What would be one or two examples in the preferred area that you would like? We have a uh, preferred uh, GM is paying a, 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 a nice preferred, is paying a 5.8% dividend. Bank of America is paying 6.1%. Both, uh, you know, AAA or AA plus rated companies, you know, investment grade level companies. Those are okay. a couple of preferreds we like a lot. Also, um, Hewlett-Packard's paying a nice uh, 5.9% Great. as we speak. Got some good ideas. All right, well, we have about a minute to go, so just want to kind of sum up all of what we've talked about here, the, the choice of saving for retirement versus college, all the different ways you can save for college. What is the basic advice you're giving to your clients these days? Well, first of all, the most important thing is to, is to develop a savings plan, have adequate insurance, and an emergency fund. When it comes to the choice between retirement and college, you have to put the emphasis on retirement first because you have to take care of yourself. And, you know, if it comes down to $10, maybe you put 75 toward retirement or, or, or 750 toward retirement and 250 toward college and, and save in that manner. And, you know, let your child know that you may not be able, you're going to contribute as much as you can toward his college or her college, 
but um, you know we'll do the best we can, and you know hopefully that's enough. If you start at age zero, when you have your child, if you save three hundred dollars per month, that'll be worth approximately $120,000 at age 18. If you start at age start. 10, <laughs> that'll be worth 50000 So the earlier you start, the better. Very good. Well, thanks so much. My guest this half hour has been Patrick Pizan. He's the CEO at Pizan Financial Group based in Staunton, Virginia. You can find out more about him at his website, pizangroup.com. Thanks so much for being a guest on The Money Answer my, Show, Pat. My pleasure, Jordan. Have a good day. You too. Thanks so much, and we'll be back with another edition of The Money Answer Show next week. Goodbye for now. Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and The Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.